Welcome to Memphis Machine. A Muddy Pig production. I'm Jonathan Bass. And I'm Carl Casperson, and together we're looking to show off the creative sights and sounds of Memphis, Tennessee. Amen. This episode with James Dukes has been sponsored by Snakebite Company, makers of the original Snakebite bottle opener and Mamba Bar tending tool. They are 100% made in the U.S. of A. Snakebite loves making products and apparel for the happy hours, the after hours, and the weekends. When it's your time to relax and be yourself, check them out at SnakebiteCO. That's SnakebiteCo.com and on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at SnakebiteCo. Get inspired with Redwire. They are experts in audiovisual design and installation in the Mid-South. Redwire Audio Video specializes in the design, installation, rental, and support of high-quality and affordable custom audio, video, lighting, broadcast, and control systems for worship facilities and large public venues. You can reach out to them at redwireav.com. And, of course, Ernestine and Hazel's, our favorite bar in Memphis. The favorite. Oh, man. We haven't mentioned that we play there every Sunday night, have we? We play there every Sunday night. We need to mention that. But apart from that, just if, if you come to Memphis any day of the week, you need to come to Ernestine and Hazel's. Yes. Hey, in this episode, we got to hang out with Mr. James Dukes, a.k.a. I Make Mad Beats, a.k.a. Unapologetic. This this man and his crew are on the cusp of greatness. They're already putting out brilliant music. I'm waiting for the I, world. Just music. I mean... Everything. No, everything. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, you know, what I, the takeaway from this interview was that this man's work ethic, uh, his systematic way of achieving excellence and quality uh, is, is fantastic. You need, you need to put your ears on this if you have any aspirations to build something of quality with a crew of people and have consistency in your product, in your art. Um, I would listen to James. It was a very inspiring conversation. Very inspirational. Really uh, huge thanks again to him. And looking forward to all the good things coming from James and his crew. All right. Well, we we finally made it. Welcome to Memphis Machine podcast on Memphis arts, music, and the happenings. That is Memphis Indigenous. Our special guest today, James Dukes. AKA, I make beats. I make mad beats. Mad beats at Nerdy Sock Studios. We are here. This is a lo- this is a lovely creative space, by the way. Thank you, thank you, man. This is uh, my, mine is so generic, and this is not. <laughs> this is lovely. This is really cool. This is actually um. This was actually me saying, I can do stuff with my eyes. Yeah. See, for years I only trusted my ears, never trusted my eyes. Oh yeah. And this was me saying, nah, I'm going to design something with my eyes. And that's, this is what happened. Stuff ended up on the ceiling, all kind of crazy stuff. So. <laughs> this, could you say this is a philosophy of aesthetics uh, informing sound as well? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, this room is, to me, visual jazz. Yeah. Uh, organized chaos. Yeah. <laughs> and but you you also have your artist in here as well, right? I mean, oh, this, yeah. is, this is the yeah well, the creative. between here and, and Studio B, definitely excellent. But this is where most of um, most of the stuff that I produce and record happens. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Well, shall we start? We, at last Get last in. podcast we started with, with a little biography. To start from the beginning. That's a good place to start. I think I said that same joke last time. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you were to if you were to point to the beginning, the uh, how would you describe your initiation into the arts? Man, um, 
Man, to the arts. Oh yeah, you you phrase it in a way to where I got to start from a different position than Ooh. I would in in most interviews. Um, my dad was a, was is an artist. Um, he used to paint and write poetry, and um, and so when I was a kid, you know, you want to be like your dad. So I would I definitely uh, used to draw all the time. I used to draw my own comic books and uh, anything that I wanted, I would draw it. Um, and so that's pretty much where I, I guess I started becoming creative and I won a couple of contests in school and stuff like that. And um, that's where I really started to unleash being creative and being any kind of artist. Hmm. Um, I did, it didn't really go into music until um, my big brother. My big brother, he um, he <laughs> he just loved rapping and <laughs> he loved hip hop. And uh, he would make his own beats on a boombox, and and, um, and I would just watch him. That's the one. Of, I, I think that's probably the coolest thing about being a little brother is that you get to get the closest to doing stuff and being someone else without doing that or being them, because you're just right there with them. Mm. And you, you get to absorb the effects. If he does well, then people think I'm cool as well. You know, meanwhile, I didn't do anything, <laughs> yes. you know. So, um, you know, he, he was just, he was rapping all the time. And, you know, he had a reputation. And and um, he started, we started making beats. And uh, <laughs> the rest is history. Mm. <laughs> so, it's an interesting ride. Did you say your mom... She taught at SUNY Purchase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She um she lived in New York for a while, and uh, and she taught up there at Purchase. Um, she taught math. She taught like I think some. I think it was I can't remember which math she taught. Um, but she taught up there for a few years, and then she was like an administrator for a while too. So yeah, but that was um I didn't I didn't grow up. I visited my mom during the summers. I spent the majority of my childhood here in Memphis with my dad. Mm. And my mom was, you know, either in New York or DC or somewhere or in Baltimore or something like that. Did, yeah. did your brother continue on in, in in music? Is he still? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. Um, his journey is, is probably crazier than mine. Um, <laughs> you know, he, my my brother was the most skipping school. Having no love for, you know, any sort of education, anything ever got, ever. And um, and now he's an instructor at Full Sail University. So. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so Delicious irony. That's yeah, great. I think it's even more ironic is just that when he was 18, he wanted to go to Full Sail and we couldn't afford it. Right. Uh, and so now he's, now they pay him, so... That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Are they still Florida based? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. That's still terrific. in Orlando. Oh, so. that's great. Yeah. So um just followed him, man. He was rapping and making beats for a long time. And when he was um twenty twenty one, he was on top of the world. Like um in Orlando at the at the time, which is where he had moved down to and then I had moved down to shortly afterwards. Um about what year are we talking to? Uh that was I don't know, he was 2002, maybe. Um, he was on top of the world. I mean, like he was the most well-known battle rapper in Orlando. He won. Mm. He was on the radio station. We were going down to Miami, and people would recognize us on the street. Like, it was crazy. 
And, um, you know, we had radio station, you know, people trying to manage us. And again, like at this point, I'm not even like really good at what I do. I'm just, again, I'm his brother. You know what I'm saying? So I got to be, I got to be dope as well. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, and I'm just absorbing it all and, and just having fun. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, he, um, he still does music, you know, he still makes beats and, uh, still puts out records and we, we still collaborate every now and then. So Jonathan, you got, you got some notes there. Yeah. I was going to maybe thinking about going, um, uh, talking about, um, your move to Long Island. And oh yeah. Working in Manhattan and quad. Yeah. Um, however you want to take that. Yeah, sure. Um, I was in I, I was in Florida. I was at UCF, um, and um, I had just gotten the opportunity to. I had, at this point, I was so done. Honestly, I just I had no inspiration for school. Mm. I was um, about halfway through a computer science degree, and um, I just had absolutely no inspiration to finish school. Um, I just did not care. All I cared about was music and everything else was holding me back. Um, and by this time, I was I was better. By this time, I had gained notoriety. I had began to do things nationally and internationally via the internet. I had some stuff even on the radio down there. I had a number one record that I produced for like, it was like seven weeks straight like mm. on the radio down there. And um, and I just wanted to do more, you know. Um, I got the opportunity to transfer to New York, to Long Island, to a school called SUNY Old Westbury um, uh, in Long Island. And, um, you know, it didn't take much convincing um, because I knew I would be closer to the music industry and somewhere where I could actually make the ideas that I wanted to happen, happen. Uh, and so... You know, after getting the first idea to do that, maybe like nine months later, I was gone. And um, moved up there, started going to school, and started getting to Manhattan anytime, anytime I could be there. Sometimes just to walk around, um, because that's the kind of place it is. Like, mm -hmm. uh, I remember the first time I went to Manhattan, I just got off the train, and Steve Buscemi was sitting there chilling. He looked at me, and he was like, <laughs> What's up? I was like, "Yo, it's you." <laughs> and, like, yeah. and um, you know, that's just that's how Manhattan was. You know, you could run into anybody anytime. Mm. And I, I found that there was no time where I would randomly go to Manhattan where something didn't happen. Some kind of opportunity didn't present itself. It just didn't. It just it made me think like, if you go to Manhattan, something will happen. Like this, the odds are in my favor. You know, history shows that this is true. Uh, so at any any time I could, I would just go to Manhattan and see what what could happen. Uh, uh, by the time I was I was at Long Island, and I got a um, it's very actually a very interesting part of the story is because um, a good a good friend now a guy named Randy um, he was actually looking for my partner in crime who was supposed to move to New York with me. Uh, a guy named Midas he was supposed to move to New York with me. We were supposed to be a duo. And we were supposed to come to New York and take over the globe. Um, didn't happen that way. Uh, it was just me. And my man Randy was actually hitting me up looking for him. And uh, I was like, he's he hasn't moved up yet, you know. 
And he's like, all right, cool. Well, let me know. You know what I'm saying? And then a month later, he would hit me up. And Has he come through yet? Ah, oh, man. All right, well, you know, Randy, he was an intern at the time at Quad Studios. And um, he, one day he hit me up and he was just like, man, Midas ain't came through yet? All right, man. Well, look, um, Dipset and some of, some of these other rappers are going to be coming through. It's like, look, man, you got some beats with soul samples and stuff? I'm like, yeah, of course. Hmm. He's like, yeah, man, come through. You know what I'm saying? They, these guys, they eat up. They just be making mixtapes and they have, they always need beats and, man, just bring a whole bunch of beats with you. I said, all right, cool, man. So I brought my iPad, which was just doubled as my hard drive. <laughs> and um, 30 gigs, just dumped hundreds of beats on it. And... Um, and left to go to Manhattan. And I got to Times Square, walked six, five and a half blocks north, and uh, went to Quad. Got in the studio, it was, there was nobody there. <laughs> Except for Randy and somebody sitting in the lobby, a good friend of mine named Jamelia, um, a couple other interns, and no rappers came through. And, um, so I was just sitting there, and it was it was weird. I'm gonna tell you the one of the weirdest. It was the weirdest feeling because, okay, we're in we're in Manhattan. I'm in this million dollar facility. Um, now I had never been to a studio like this in my life mm -hmm. ever, ever. <laughs> you know, at this time, the only studios I'd ever went to was like, um, you know, my bedroom, um, maybe some other guy's bedroom. You know. <laughs> to to record over his house but um but that was it so i i walk into this room i see this a million buttons a million lights um you and know the history of quad too i mean yeah i mean is. exactly we the history of quad is very deep um and so i'm just kind of wowed by it but you know what everybody's doing there the three interns and the person at the front desk they're all looking at youtube videos of like people doing stupid stuff <laughs> I think they were like doing dances and stuff. And I just remember thinking like, what? <laughs> what part of the game is this? Like, you know, um, and you know, I have, I'm a, I'm a super adult now, so I know to come off, I know how to come off as normal when I need to, but, <laughs> and even then people are like, you're not, you're not doing it well, but still, I know how to do it, but back then I did not. You know what I'm saying? And um, and so when I, when I saw people doing things like this, you got to understand, like I, music removed me from society. So you know, in, in a good way or, or not a good way. I think I think both sides. Okay. I think in a good and a bad way. Um, but it removed me from society in a way that set me up to learn things people already knew a little late in life <laughs> like common things like uh small talk you know mm. i was mm. definitely deep into my 20s before i learned how to small talk and talk about the weather the game i didn't you know what i'm saying i didn't know how to do that um banter yeah i, I didn't i was just <laughs> it's okay i was very odd when it comes to stuff like that yeah that, 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 that <laughs> stuff is well yeah i'm not i'm, not getting I, I, I'm at a point now that. where it's like <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm good on that. But at right. that point in my life, man, it would have came in handy to know how to do sure. that stuff. Um, but 
Anyway, so yeah, so they're sitting there and they're, they're laughing at this stuff and they're joking, blah, blah, whatever. And half of me is thinking, join in with them. Like, this is become cool with them mm. and who knows what can happen, mm-hmm. right? And then the other half of me is looking at the studio and nobody's in there. And I'm just like, all right, man, I can't, I can't, I'm sorry. Hey, man, uh, you think I can go in the studio and, and just load up some stuff on Pro Tools. I just want to listen. That's it. You know? And my man Randy, they were so into this YouTube video. They were like, yeah, yeah, go ahead, man. Yeah, Ugh. it's all good. Go ahead. So I'm like, all right. So I walk into Studio C, which is on the 10th floor of uh, of the building, and I start pulling up my Pro Tools sessions. Um, the outs... The multi-outs were normal to the first, I think, 24 inputs on the console. So I'm, like, doing my first analog mix ever. Um, just twisting knobs. I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm just twisting knobs. And, you know, about an hour and a half later, I'm like, yeah, this is sounding, you know, really good. Mm. My man Randy walks into the room. He runs into the room. And he's like, hey, Nemo, you got to. You gotta go, man. You gotta get out. You gotta hide or something. I was like, "What's going on?" He says, "The owner's about to come up here, and you're not supposed to be here." Oh, jeez. So you said it was okay. At this point, I'm like, I just gotta grab stuff. I don't know what's going on. Well, small talk saved me now. Yeah, I should have learned. Um, so, um, so yeah, I start. You know, I try to I try to get my stuff out of there quick, and then eventually I realized, you know, it was too late. The um, the elevator pops open. Ricky, who is the owner, he walks into the studio and he looks at me and he says, and he looks at Randy and he says, who is this? <laughs> and Randy says, uh, this is my friend uh, Nemo. You know? And um, he was like, uh, okay. And so I guess he had heard uh, some of the stuff being played from with quad man you could hear people's whole life in an, in the elevator like you could hear the change in their pockets i mean just only because we had the volume up i had the volume up super loud by yeah. the way so it was kind of ridiculous but uh, i guess he had heard some of the stuff and and as he you know he just looked at me and he said hey what was that stuff you were playing and i said um it was some beats that i made you know and he looked at me and he said did you mix that i was like yeah you know and then he asked me to hit play i hit play um, and then he said, have you ever thought about an internship here? Oh, uh, yeah. And, um, now Randy is like right behind him over his shoulder. So I can, I can clearly see Randy while like, let's say you're him. Right. I can clearly see Randy like right over his shoulder without even looking at him mm-hmm. peripheral. Um, and again, I'm a very, uh, truthful guy. So. When he asked me, my initial response, I was going to say no, because I had never thought about that. And, you know, I just want to make beats. Um, but Randy was over his shoulder and he was like, yes, you have. <laughs> <laughs> Saying yes, you know. And um, so I said yes. And he said, yeah, man, just get us a resume and uh, we'll see what's up. And shortly afterwards, I was interning at Quad and that's how... All of this stuff started. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Oh, so, that's great. <laughs> uh, any like first 
like engineers maybe you, you remember one a few that you yeah yeah there was two remember um, working with mentors okay so that 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 brings in a very interesting um yeah those two questions sorry no 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 it's fine yeah. that's that's a very interesting thing because um it, okay so okay so there were two engineers who immediately uh caught my attention um one guy named benjamin arendell who um he mixed a lot of buster rhymes and stuff some of the uh some of the root stuff um he had a lot of he had a lot of i mean you can you can check his name he's got a lot of credits um but he mixed a lot of the kind of stuff that i like to hear you know the texture of it um and you know even though i'm interning with you know the top thing i could become was an engineer here you know let's be clear like in my mind the top thing was being a producer right like so i'm here and i'm learning all of these things or whatever but in my mind i'm still thinking beats 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 that's it you know and um you know so benjamin Aaron, he was a kind of producer i mean a kind of engineer to where i wanted to learn from him specifically because learning from him could make my beats sound the way i wanted them to sound mm-hmm. all the other engineers that i would meet they were very good at mixing things that were already 2496. Like they were coming out of a Korg Triton mm. in a in a crispy way. You know, um, my sound is a little bit more textured. Um, the, the way I like to describe it is just a little bit more dusty, you know. Um, and a lot of the new engineers there as crazy as it's surrounded by, you know, with four analog consoles and all this analog gear, I, just from hearing them, I could just, I, I felt like they didn't know this sound, mm. you know? And I, I specifically remember a DJ named Tony Touch. He came in uh, to Studio C and there was two. There was an engineer and an intern. Both of them, I I assumed, were way smarter than me. You gotta understand, I was the only intern that didn't go to Full Sail or SAE uh, or whatever. I just showed up and just did the work. I didn't. I I don't. You know. So I felt super lucky, uh, I, and I felt less than compared to all the other guys because they, you know, they came in saying terminologies and all kind of stuff, and they were just. You know, just saying stuff, I didn't know what it was. And I'm just like, man, I'm clearly, you know, the low guy in the totem pole here. I got to get my stuff together. And um, and I just remember Tony Touch came in and he wanted to hook up a turntable and record a uh, a record into Pro Tools. And I'm the second assistant. When you're the second assistant, that basically means shut up. Don't say anything. Don't be seen, man. <laughs> like, if we ask you to get some ketchup, have it in two seconds. That's it. Like this. This is the extent of what you're supposed to do here. And um, so I remember, you know, Tony Touch was like, "Yeah, let's hook this up." They got they got a Technics 1200, and I just remember that they took the RCAs from the 1200, you know, and did like a conversion from the RCA to quarter inch cables, and then just like ran it through API. And tried to go into the console with it, and the volume was extremely low. And I just remember thinking, 
that's dope that the SSL can, you know, has that kind of impedance, you know. Um, I'll wait for them to turn it on or to hit a switch. I don't know. They right. know something I don't know. But I know when I'm hooking up a turntable, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, there's, I need to go through a mixer or something, or, you know, a phono amp or something. Yeah. Right? Man, they were doing this for like 30 minutes. And Tony <laughs> starts to get mad, like, what's going on here? I thought this was, you know, quiet. I, I think you guys don't know how to hook up a turntable. And I said, hey, do you guys have a mixer? Maybe a Vestex? Like, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, we have one of those downstairs. You should get that. And they brought it upstairs, and I hooked it up, and all of a sudden it worked. And I was, just, and, th- and I remember I walked away from that session, and I thought to myself, "I'm not as dumb as I thought I was. Like, there are clear advantages I have that I I didn't go to school, but I've been doing this for a decade. You know, mm-hmm. I've been doing. I literally started rec- making music and recording when I was 14 years old." I got my first clients when I was 17, um, you know, and we broke things, figuring things out, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so. So could you say that was a moment when uh, the, the, the pressure of not feeling like you had a pedigree background, yeah. but, but you, you were a guy who, were, who was doing things. Yeah. And, that and, was, and, 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 and maybe did that, did that tell you like, hey, this is about just getting it done? Exactly. That I, what I learned then was just that, you know, sand the floor. You were learning to block. You didn't know. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> you know. You, there were things that I had been learning that I just didn't know. Like muscle memory. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and 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 once I, once I acknowledged that, everything changed. Mm-hmm. Like my confidence, and it just meant that I just maybe I didn't know the word. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I didn't know the terminology. But, you knew it had to be done. Right. Yeah. All the time. And, and and that's that's what, you know, and then I just started to go and learn the terminologies to be able to communicate better. But, mm-hmm. you know, once I did that, and I, it was mostly just about gaining confidence. Once I gained confidence in myself, um, things started to change for me there. And then I remember, you know, I got a little bit of false confidence. And <laughs> and then I had to get shut down again. My man, uh, Benjamin Arendelle. He was a uh, he, he is an engineer and an amazing one and I got my first assistant gig with him and Scram Jones can't remember I think it was Scram Jones yeah he had a drummer come in and that was my first session <clears throat> and man I knew everything about the Patch Bay I was ready for war let's do it you ready Nemo yeah, yeah let's do it let's do it so. He's like, yeah, man, patch this. Now, he had me patch something on a floor patch, which was not the patch bay that I thought I knew. And I was like, uh, okay. You know, and I started to do it, and I was messing up, and wires were bad, and just everything was just terrible. Ugh. And he's, he totally embarrassed me. He, uh, he totally, in front of the client, was like, Man, I'm gonna have to be the assistant and the engineer. Go sit down. You know, and then he showed me he was talking trash the whole time. Just, you know, even the even the client was like, Hey man, you all right? (laughs) 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 It it was bad. 
Hey, so for, so maybe for for listeners that might not know, sure. can you? Um, it sounds like there's a hierarchy. Yes. All right. So can you break that down? Yes, indeed. Um, so at the bottom of the bottom is interns. Like you're scum. You know what I'm saying? You're dirt. You're nothing. You should just be happy you're there. Uh, <laughs> above interns uh, is anybody doing a second assist job, right? Second assist job is essentially an intern who has been drafted in to learn in a serious environment, right? When you're just an intern and you're floating around, you better get the best fruits and you better, you know, mop the floor. A second assist is, you know, okay, let's get this guy in here learning. Uh, an assistant is, um, which is the first, is the next level up. That's like, that's the that's the number one goal for uh, interns right off top. It's not to be an engineer. You want to be an assistant um, because the assistant is the most important person in the studio, hmm. right? And in, an engineer doesn't have to know the studio. The assistant does, right? So the assistant needs to know how to patch this, you know, where the mics are, how to do this, blah, 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 whatever. How to set up. The assistant sets up the session, backs up the session, takes care of the client. Uh, the assistant needs to know everything the engineer knows technically, and then the engineer is the talent in the ear, mm. right? So you might have an engineer who will do all the technical stuff. Sometimes not. Sometimes it's just like Quincy Jones or a Barry Gordy, right? You know, they're the minds. Yeah. Right? That's the engineer. Um, so you have your assistant. Uh, as an intern, you're seeking to become an assistant. You want to become that all-knowing and extremely dependable person who can see the future, <laughs> right? Because that's what you have to do. You, your job as the assistant is to make the engineer look like a genius. Mm. Anticipate exactly. everything. Exactly. Right? Everything. Like, you know, and that's why oftentimes if you were an intern, the people who would get picked up to become a second assist or or to, you know, to be taught directly from an, from an assistant will be the interns that showed that kind of foresight. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I remember getting sent to McDonald's to go and get a number two and with, what was it, a Coke. And, uh, yeah. And so, when I went to McDonald's to go get a number two and a Coke, I had the number two with the Coke. I came back with packets of ketchup, mustard, um, salt, pepper, two straws, um, extra napkins, um, and virtually any condiment that they had, right? Um, and so the idea was just that, you know, I don't know what you want on your burger, right? Um, but whatever you could ever want on your burger, you didn't have to, not only did you not have to ask me to get it, um, but, you know, you, it will just be available to you, mm -hmm. right, off top. Like, you know, and I, I always thought like that. I, when, when they sent me to Whole Foods to go get Missy Elliott's, you know, fruit bowl, um, you know, I would always choose, you know, they, uh, other interns would go and get fruit and put it in the basket. I would go get the most attractive looking fruit ever. I would take off the little stickers off the apples. I would go and shine it up, 
right? And then I would create this kind of like design with the napkin around that it's sitting in. Um, and it was those kinds of things that got me out of internship faster than the other interns. It wasn't, oh, he's he knows how to engineer or he's... Mm-hmm. It was yeah, detail oriented. Exactly. An awareness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just, I, I was very thankful. And, um, you know, I, 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 at that point in life, maybe a couple of years before that, somebody had told me something. They said, um, how you do anything is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. And that just circulated in my mind, you know. Um, to you know, at any at any moment, uh, give examples of how detailed I thought, mm-hmm. even if it was just getting a fruit basket. You know, so yeah, those were the levels. Engineer is the top level, of course. That's when you're the big dog. You, you know, you can just chill and just you know make commands and things happen for you. <laughs> Um, but no, but you got to deliver, you got to, uh, you got to swing the home run and deliver the product and, and, um, you know, be very professional while doing it. So, um, yeah, I mean that, that was quad and, um, it was without a doubt the most, um, it was definitely the launch pad for where I am, you know, in terms of and everywhere, in terms of opportunity and all the way to just mindset. You know, mm-hmm. I went up there as Nemo, which was a childhood nickname. I came back as I make mad beats because uh, that was just a different, you know, I went after the things that I wanted and I believed in a little bit differently. That also exposed you to um, working with music beyond samples. I mean, like you said, drums. Mm-hmm. Um, did you get to work with strings, acoustic, like all of it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, we, I mean, everything, you know, um, you know, that was initially it was just recording it, you know, um, but, you know, again, it, once you inspire confidence in the people around you, even if you're just an intern, you know, once you move in a way to where people believe in you and they feel good in believing in you, mm-hmm. they'll they'll look out for you. That's why, you know, every time I, it's people, you know, feel like that they're all alone or that no one is trying to help them or um, that they don't get good looks in terms of um, opportunities, you know, honestly, and I, hey man, if I'm being transparent here, I'm a guy from very humble uh, beginnings. (laughs) So I understand lack of opportunity very well. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, But I will say this, like, Whenever, whenever I made myself um, a glaring thing for opportunity to pause and say, hey, you, it came around. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever I didn't give opportunity a second, a reason to second guess, it came around, you know, um, and there, you know, um, I would. I was always working hard. I never sat down, and uh, and I was always trying to learn something from somebody. So one day, a guy comes in the studio and he says, "Hey, you guys know any young guys here who make beats or program music that are like really dedicated and like 
sleeping music, and everybody in the room, there's like eight people, all of them pointed at me. Mm. And I was mopping the floor as an intern. And uh, it was unanimous. <laughs> it's like him. And, uh, and he comes up to me and he says, hey, man, uh, I'm going to be doing some music for a couple things here and there, man. I have a studio out in Jersey. Um, you know, do you have an hourly rate? <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to scrape together three dollars to go get some a hot dog. You know what I'm saying? Like, what? And he's and he, I said, uh, eh, it depends. Let me. I'm gonna get back to you. You know, right? <laughs> good, good answer. Yeah, yeah. And he, he's like, yeah, man, give me a call. And he gave me his card. Um, this is, and he was a, he's a producer. He did a lot of uh, dance remixes and a lot of remixes for. Um, labels all across the world um and so i hit him up i said hey man um i can do 25 an hour you know what i'm saying 25 an hour i said 25 an hour and um he said cool so uh, when can we meet and i was and immediately i'm like damn yes should have asked for more um so anyway we ended up i ended up getting up at his studio and um like you know he would he would essentially tell me like the kinds of beats or productions that he wanted and then he would just maybe go pick up his son or he would just chill and do whatever every now and then he might come back and say hmm make that a little bit smoother or something like that and just go about his business and uh you know and just leave me there making beats and so that's where i really learned to like really diversify or to be you know um versatile and mm-hmm. what i was making because we had to make a whole bunch of different kinds of stuff rock stuff um pop stuff um you know um reggaeton stuff dance stuff um Anything, anything, because it was all for very, you know, all kinds of labels for all, you know, all all across the world. Some of the licensing stuff for commercials and stuff like that. So, um, like music libraries, is it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, okay, um, that was when I really said, "All right, man, I got to level up. I got to be better." And so I would just come, you know. I remember the, the first time I left there, I was happy, but I was also like very intimidated because. I couldn't just do the kinds of stuff that I just had in my head. Like, I had to, like, really, you know, if somebody said, like, salsa, I had to know what that mm. meant. You right. know what I'm saying? And right. and go and execute that like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that, for me, meant uh, I had to really pay attention uh, to music. Yeah. I want real quick touch on on a nugget of wisdom I, I picked up on, and, and uh, yeah, I would say in contrast to the pressure of being of trying to get noticed, the pressure the, the pressure of becoming successful, the pressure in trying to be a somebody in this crazy music business. Um, I think what I heard you emphasize is 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 being a valuable asset and in, in, in contributing to whatever it is, whatever yeah. situation. And that that might seem obvious, but I think that just, I mean, I hear that. I love playing bass. 
because I actually love what bass contributes in, in, in doing to the track and doing, in doing to a song. You know, whatever style, Motown, jazz, whether a nerdy little jazz Sunday thing we do, I love how the bass contributes. And, and, and my favorite bass players, like in, in town, like, like Jackie, you know, who constantly preach this gospel of like being able to hear hear the entire track hear what your part's doing and how it contributes yeah so and 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 the discipline of not doing something that's going to throw it all out of whack yeah. and, and, and and uh draw attention or maybe not enough you know but but i, I love i love what you just said and in, in uh honing skills uh being aware you said, you know, like the fruit basket and, and, mm-hmm. and, and being asked to do mundane things, but being aware as to how you're contributing to the overall yeah, the overall scene. That's great. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So, so we're, so we're, we're I, why, why didn't you stay in New York? I mean, it sounds like this is the place. Um, okay. So I left there, you know, it's interesting because as as crazy as New York is, you know, it's funny. Like, I can, you know, New York's the kind of place where you can do, you know, one day's work and just walk out of wherever you worked at with $2,000 with $2, cash in your pocket. And because it's New York, it might as well be $20, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, might be half your rent. Might as well, yeah. Um, so... You know, so there's that, but that's not actually. You know, I didn't really leave there for any other reason than I. You know, I, I talked to some family, and um, in short, man, you know, I just felt like chasing my dreams. I had lost touch with some family that I didn't. That I realized I had. I had gone through some things that had really let me know that music wasn't the most important thing in my life. Mm. And that, even me saying it right now, <laughs> is still it's eerie for me to say it, um, because the majority of my life, there's no way you could have convinced me otherwise. Um, it's just what it was. Nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, food. <laughs> it's all a joke compared to music. You know. Um, you know, to the point where you know I've, I've been in and out the hospital because of. The unusual levels of focus <laughs> that keep you from eating, you know. Um, so you know, in in that's you know, in all in the years of me chasing my goals and being proud of myself, to be honest, um, I'm a kid, you know, from interesting parts of Orange Mound who had to go to White Station every day and see people who had things and took it for granted that you never had in your life. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, simple things like getting dropped off, and, you know, fruit roll-ups, you know. <laughs> I saw that on TV, you know right. what I'm saying? I didn't have that, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so to to go from where what we were going through to me being a successful person that took my own career into my own hands in New York, in Manhattan, it was, man, I was on top of the world. I could go down. I remember, I remember one, it was ridiculous. I remember one time I went to Red Lobster. So I've never been on some rapper stuff where like you just you know, let money rain from the sky and nothing like that. But one time I went to Red Lobster and I took my friend, 
uh, my best friend in college, his name was Iman. His name is Iman. And um, we went to Red Lobster after I got after I sold my first beat like into the thousand thousands of dollars level. Mm-hmm. And I remember I gave the waiter a ninety dollar tip, and I was just like, "What is wrong with me? <laughs> what is going on here? Ninety dollars? I just gave somebody a ninety dollar tip." You know, I'm wilding, like I'm crazy, mm. you know, but, you know, th- th- those were the kinds of, I, 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 kn- I was very proud of myself that I had, um, that I, essentially I made it, mm-hmm. you know, I made it. And, um, but the downside of that is that, you know, getting up there was hard. There was so much psychological pressure on me to like not fail, hmm. you know, because so many people had believed in me because of my drive, because of, you know, since first grade, some woman has always put me to the side of the class and been like, James, you're smart, you know, <laughs> you know, and, you know, people believed in you so much and you got there. And so now the fear kicked in mm. right the fear of failure the fear of like letting people down you got up here what are you going to do now you know and New York is it's interesting because New York is like New York will never stop punching you in the chest like ah, ah. you know what I mean you can be Sylvester you can be Rocky but New York will, will be Drago all day mm. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. keep punching you and wonder why you won't stay down um and so while I while I was, I would say I was winning, but I was definitely taking all of its punches. Um, you know, those things pushed me to an edge psychologically that was probably my darkest time in my life mm. um, because I got sick. I had some infections internally. Um, I lost. I lost self value. Um, you know, I just, I was in a very bad place. Um, you know, when, when I was growing up, my mom and dad were both, both had bouts of depression. Mm. Um, and so I'll never say I was depressed because I don't, I mean, maybe I was, but the definition of depression to me is what they were going through. So I was not as bad as them. <laughs> um, you know, but would you say your success at that time, your, 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 your self, uh, estimated level of success sure. had, had you were neglecting things. Without a doubt, I was neglecting things. I was, Personally. You know, I was not eating properly. I was not doing anything properly. <laughs> I was not taking care of myself at mm-hmm. all. I wasn't, you know, like I was definitely on living the lifestyle of like, you know, I would only eat if I had accomplished something kind of thing. Mm. And if I didn't, then my punishment was to not eat. Not like, sleeping. No sleep. Mm. Can you, you know? point to a moment where that turned around, that, that something that brought you out of it? Yeah. In the hospital. <laughs> yeah. In the hospital, I was, uh, you know, I couldn't, I got to the point where I couldn't walk without stumbling or, because mm. uh, I was just, I would just get dizzy. And um, it, it was a dark time because at the time I was very much alone in New York. 
So I had to walk myself to the hospital. Uh, so I was messed up in the game, and I was walking to uh, Kings County Hospital. You know, I'm dizzy, and then, then I got to wait in the you know ER or whatever for hours and get the, it was just a very you know it's one thing to be sick it's another thing to like feel like you're going through it all alone oh wow yeah and um you know i couldn't do i couldn't work i was an entrepreneur i didn't have any sick days or whatever i couldn't work and uh, and so that just made it worse for me hmm. um all i could do was read and so I read um, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. <laughs> and, um, you know, there's a lot of things in that book that really helped me mm -hmm. turn some things around. And I still have this book. And um, in it are, like, some of the things I was scribbling, like, waiting in the hospital. And, you know, they remind me of where I was. You know, but halfway through that book, I realized, like, my life is bigger than music. Mm -hmm. You know, that, you know, my goals were not more important than me. Um, and sure enough, you know, once I got better with that new mindset and intention behind it, I think is when I started to make some of the best music I had ever made and it's when a lot of more successes started to happen mm. but shortly after that I got a call from some family and at this point because of because of my new mindset and because of my new value system it was time for me to leave because mm -hmm. of my family you know and I I needed to be with my family. And while I was doing fine in New York and I was healthy again, um, you know, again, and you got to walk yourself to the hospital. You you deal with new levels of lonely that you never thought of. Mm. Uh, so I wanted to be around my family. And so I came back. And um, it was a it was a trip. <laughs> yeah. So so you'd say that now I mean like do you feel like you've achieved a balance where with career family? You're, uh, yeah, I think I think I'm as balanced. I think I'm more balanced than I have ever been. I'll say mm -hmm. that. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, I think I can do better. I think um, I'm forever gonna be. Uh, trying to achieve the perfect balance. Um, I don't think, I, you know, there's some things, that's one thing I've, I've realized as an adult, is that there are some things that you're just going to get and that's it. And then there's some things you're going to be chipping away at for the rest of your life. It's a tricky thing and yeah. with a lot of musicians and artists, and I'm sure in a lot of other fields, but to, to let that profession, but, you know, since we're all musicians, we know what we're talking, we know this subject. The, the let your successes or failures define you. You know, it's, it's sounds like what you're describing. You know, once you get past that, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's it, a lot. It's a lot more. It's peaceful. It, <laughs> it, it really is. You know, it, it it's. I mean, I'm I'm not gonna act like I've I've completely gotten over that. You know, I I'm not gonna say that. 
it's a um, struggle man I, yeah it's yeah, totally it's, it, it is it's 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 every now and then i'll drift back you know into that into that kind of thing um but i'm surrounded by love now mm. you know what i'm saying i'm surrounded by the right people mm-hmm. um surrounded by people who care um i mean my dog she's great you know what i'm saying boudreau <laughs> um you know it's impossible to continue thinking these things when i look at my son now um you know so it, it, it's it's not over yeah i feel like you guys ever seen a beautiful mind yeah it was mm-hmm. a while ago but okay. yeah yeah, so all of those things I just mentioned are the people who follow him around that nobody else can see. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. I'm forever going to see them, and I just have to keep going, you know. So it's, it's interesting, but so you describe, you know, you're, you're chasing the dream, you're in the dream, the dream starts to, to, to bite you, you know, and so then you have, I mean, could, could you almost call it a. a uh, you have a crisis, almost a, a breakthrough, a spiritual awakening. Some type oh yeah, of, definitely. You know. I mean, that's without a doubt. You know what I'm saying? That's that's you know that was the um, that was probably the most that was probably the most definite crossroads in my entire life mm. in terms of like okay, I can, can I can self destruct or I can change. Had you seen? Anyone else, artist or other peers that you've worked with, continue on and and not survive, not or or or, or say have a worse yeah episode or no, I, I not personally. Yeah. I mean, you you hear about sure artists, you know what I'm saying? You hear, I mean, there are plenty of famous artists who I learned and went through similar things. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing about me is just that, like, I've never. I've always been the scarily driven guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, it's very rare for me to be around somebody who is clearly more driven than me. <laughs> um, and and, 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 and uh, let me be clear, like, I am not looking to be the most driven guy in the room. I've always sought to, you know, who is my Golden State Warriors? Like, I want to go and join a team that is just as driven you know what I'm saying or just as whatever that is you know what I'm saying um but I am usually the person that people are that people look at like hey man you should take a nap like Mm. (laughs) Mm. um so I I don't really know many people you know directly uh who went through those kinds of things it was usually just me so so uh you decided to wrap it up in New York. You come back to Memphis. That was like yeah. a direct route, kind of a direct thing. Definitely and drove back in the Saab. You know what I'm saying? In the Saab. In the Saab. <laughs> nice. Um, and, How long uh, before? Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You're How long before Unapologetic? Oh man, Unapologetic took it took some years before I came before I developed that after getting back here because I had to go through another downtime. <laughs> it always gets worse before it gets better. I had to. <laughs> I had to go through another downtime. It was a good time. I got back here. <clears throat> and initially, I, I didn't want to do anything local. I didn't, I didn't want to do anything musically here. I just wanted to continue working with the clients that I was working with abroad. You know, About 70% of my work could be done 
mm-hmm. via the internet. You know, uh, I, at this point, I was heavy into um, licensing music and you know selling music uh, to companies and stuff like that. Um, so, just further into just generating passive income, uh, that was all I cared about. Stayed and stay in the basement and keep doing it. Um, somebody took me out to a hip hop show here which I didn't want to go to at first. <laughs> and I was like, ah, I'm good. I didn't, you know, I just, I just didn't have any interest. And, um, nah, Neem, you need to come out. You need to come out. All right, cool. I got out. Um, it was at this photo studio. Um, dude named Darius Williams. Um, he had a show there. And uh, I went there and I checked it out. And uh, it was not what I was expecting at all. The people in the crowd were is not what I was expecting at all. It was uh, it, it was okay. I left there thinking something. You know, Memphis had changed, or I had changed, or both. Um, but I just remember thinking, like, man, you know, I want to see something like this again. Hmm. You know, uh, some of the rappers that I heard, and some of the beats that I heard, and. It was just, it was, it was kind of inspiring in the sense of, man, these are people clearly out here trying something new, and you can see it on their faces that they're proud to like, you know, be turning this corner. But about what year was this? You think? This is tw- eleven or twelve. Mm-hmm. Eleven to twelve it was, and, uh, and yeah, so I was just like, all right, cool, you know what I'm saying? I'll, I'll continue to check this stuff out. Um, that's where I met Pro. Um, who was who was a rapper here? Um, I met him and Cities of Vive, I think, in the same night. Um, and um, yeah, so I just started to one day. Pro and I we got together and we got up in the studio. And uh, well, actually, let me be clear. I went and picked him up <laughs> from. <laughs> From an apartment he was living in with about forty-eight other people, <laughs> and uh, and we drove. We were driving back. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> we were driving back to my house, which where I had a studio, and um, he uh, he said, "Man, Mad Beats, I got this song. Um, I want you to hear." You know what I'm saying? I was like, "All right, cool. Um, you got it on you?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I was like, "All right, cool. Play it." At the time, I had a, um, I had one of the radios with like the USB port on it, um, so he had a flash drive. So he hooks it up, and he says, um, "Yeah, go to Monday morning." So I right, cool. Go to Monday morning. I hit play. I'm thinking I'm gonna hear the song. Nah, man, this was just the beat. This man performed the whole song for me in the car. <laughs> like turn to the side. <laughs> Did the verse, <laughs> did the hook, he did extra ad libs at the end. When the song faded, his voice faded. Like, oh yes. It was <laughs> it was I was like, and so I'm driving like <laughs> what? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> you know. And I love when I see stuff like that because in my mind, like, okay, this is somebody who There's the pooch. Yes. Mm. This is somebody who um I see that detail again. Yeah. You know, I see that like, like serious thought into this. I also see a level of 
knowing his craft to where he could perform a whole song with no hiccups, no, you know, I mean, verse, hook, verse, hook, verse, bridge, mm. outro, mm. right? While sitting in a car, twisted, turning to his left. Mm. I was impressed, to say the least. We got back to the studio and he started, you know, playing me more stuff and telling me what he was up to. And I was like, man, I think we should work together <laughs> on something, cool. you know, and uh, and we did. <clears throat> and that turned into this whole big thing uh, where he had he had a crew and his own team and stuff and he would bring them in. And we kind of all became a big family um, working together. And I was essentially... Uh, just I housed it all I would record it mix it you know produce some of it uh, and you know he was he was the guy I think Pro was like the chosen kid uh, from Memphis he was definitely the most popular person in the city in terms of rap um, and so you know he was he had a lot of he had a, a bright future ahead of him and so it was a good it was a movement it was a, it was a legit movement at the time um but there were some cancerous things in that team. Um, so let's go back to, quickly back to New York, right? Yeah. You know, I told you guys about feeling alone and the loneliness factor, right? Well, extremes often push you to the other extreme, mm -hmm. right? Extremes, being lonely, oftentimes sets you up to allow people around you that shouldn't be around you, right? Because you don't want to be lonely, mm. right? And so, um, these people were good people, no doubt, but they definitely, there were definitely some issues in terms of, um, you know, how bad you want it, you know, whether it's whether that means showing up on time, showing up at all. Mm. Uh, whether that means doing your job, whether that means um, being mindful, considerate, you know, all the things that I was as an intern, it was the opposite of what I was dealing with. And, you know, some of these young guys who would come in and so forth. And, um, and so that had to come to an end, uh, to put it in a brief way. Mm -hmm. um, that had to come to an end and it came to a very frustrating end for me because this was, again, another time where you know, I had invested time and energy uh, and resources into something that I believed in that didn't that didn't get to the next level. Mm. You know, and at this point, I'm down on myself again um, because you know, for years people were telling me that you know that I was this talented producer and this and this and this and so forth and. I had always, I had known that being a producer was bigger than making a beat or recording a record. Mm -hmm. You know, a producer, when I think of master producers, I think of Dr. Dre. You know what I'm saying? And it's with Dr. Dre, when you're thinking about him being masterful, it's not just the music, it's who he chose. Right. It's who, it's his ability to pick out talent and to get somebody to the next level. Right? I mean, you can go back to N.W.A. to Kendrick Lamar to whoever, you know, RZA, you know, from Wu, same thing, you know, Pharrell, same thing, you know. Um, these guys were all 
masterful at everything around the product you mm-hmm. know and um i felt like this was another you know lost opportunity or lost time had this taken time away from your licensing oh yeah like, definitely like you definitely hit like no I, it, when i go into something right i'm in mm-hmm. you know when i believe in, this, in something i'm in so yeah i had stopped doing my own personal my own personal music mm-hmm. i had stopped doing uh, i mean I, I had generated enough passive income and things like that uh to where i could do it but i had stopped the creation i had stopped you know going into that or whatever all because i believed in in this movement mm. uh and creating something um that you know building an artist up um that would get eventually get to the next level right and further everything you know and so that um I was very frustrated about that and you know me and my wife would talk about it and there were just times where I was just mad at night because uh, you know I I put pressure on myself uh to succeed at um you know at not just comfortable levels you know like I I really want to do great things mm-hmm. um and so one day I was sitting with my, with my man Kevin <clears throat> Kevin Delibon what up Kev and um and he he you know he was telling me he said um he said nee man you can't uh you can't be too down on yourself man i was like why why can't i be too down on myself what is the reason that's a good good yeah. comeback yeah. <laughs> why not yeah what's what's why you know and he said um he said well you got to look at people like Steve Jobs, people like RZA, people like, you know, Beethoven, right? He was like, uh, those people, they all had to be a part of, you know, something bigger than them to create, you know, they all had to be a part of teams or organizations or whatever, but they all chose their teams. He was like, every team you've been a part of, you were drafted into. Hmm. I was just like, you're right you're right you know and uh and he was like you know as meticulous and detailed and um mean (laughs) as you as you can be (laughs) he was like you should just pick your own team Mm -hmm. right using the kind of you know using your approach to things Right and hold the bar at you, not below you, not it's okay, you know. Hold the bar at you. People have to be dedicated, resilient, passionate. You know, uh, you know they have to. You know, their actions must meet their words. Their word must mean something, right? You know, and and it's not. You know, he was like, hold the bar at you. And you can build a team that you will never be disappointed in. Mm. You know, it's, it's it's hard to ask, but yeah. it, could, do you think in in the team that that didn't in the team that had to to break up, mm-hmm. did you have little voices saying like, oh, this? Did you ignore? Oh the, yeah, definitely the, the flags or maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And that's that's the thing. You know, that's the thing where. I, I when I, I talk to people all the time about 
just that alone, which is like, you know, people say they believe in themselves and that they trust themselves. Well, those are the moments to prove it. Mm. Right? Every time, you know, and I when, I, when I catch myself saying this, when I catch other people saying this, I usually make a moment of it. Hey, stop. Wait a second. What just happened there? Right? Every time somebody says, man, I knew that was going to happen. I always say, you didn't act like you knew it was going to happen. You just knew it, but you didn't put any value into it. Mm-hmm. You didn't actually follow through with that idea. You know, so you're not valuing your own thoughts, right? You're kind of leaning into what's either comfortable or what everybody else is doing, right? You're not valuing your own ability to make decisions, recognize red flags, mm-hmm. and so forth. And I, I say that to people because I say it to myself, mm-hmm. you know, like... And it takes those moments, like going from the mixer, you know, I mean, going for the from the turntables without a mixer, you know. Exactly, yeah, it's, it's, exactly. I could have told them thirty minutes before then, but right. I didn't. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I didn't have the value in myself. It, it had, Tony Touch had to get very frustrated <laughs> before <laughs> I actually say, "Hey, man, why don't we try something else?" You know, and um, and so now, and so now, no, now, it's funny. Because now people think that um, I, I'm very often told that every, every, it looks like every move I make is a calculated one or some part of a strategy. I have people thinking that I'm playing mind games when I just clearly forgot something or whatever, you know. And the only reason for that is is because I, 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 there's a lot of things I know what I'm doing mm-hmm. and there's a lot of things where I don't know. But I really trust myself at this point in life. I think, I think at this point in life, um, even when I don't know where I'm going, I know I'm going to be happy when I get there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because I trust myself. I trust the, my experiences, and I trust where my experiences will have me move without thought. Right. Um, and so... Yeah, I got, uh, you know, and those voices were in my head and you even saying that and pointing that out is a very passionate point that I that I think about often, which is to trust yourself and not, you know, don't lose time because you didn't trust yourself, mm-hmm. you know. And the, the thing about it is just that when you see those red flags, when I see those red flags now, we have interns, you know, and... When I see those red flags now, I've had people on my team who are like, man, Neem, you sure you shouldn't have uh, given them one more chance? Or what if it was this? Or what if it was that? Or whatever, blah, blah. And, it's, and I look at them, you know, some of the younger people on my team, and I'm like, man, I remember when I was as nice as you. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and what I mean by that is, is just simply that, you know, I there's two things about it. Not only am I confident in being able to point out the red flag and say this is wrong, um, we should do something about this, but I'm also at this point in life able to when somebody doesn't understand the red flag, mm-hmm. still hold on to not nah, that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. Your lack of experience will not confuse me. Mm. I've been here before, mm-hmm. right? When you, maybe it maybe it'll take you some years, and you'll be able to see this red flag as clearly as I do. But that's a red flag, right? 
and that's that. Yeah, you know? that's a, that's life experience. Yeah, I mean that, that's hard. You can read that in the book. S- Stephen Covey uh, can can point things, but until you've actually been through the crucible of, yeah. of that and experienced that, and it's like, oh, yeah, here we are. I love that book. That's great. Yeah. So so, uh, Jonathan, you get you get. I know you have copious notes over <laughs> here. I've got some notes. We've we're, we're actually knocking them out. Th- th- this is amazing, by the way. I, I'm just yeah. I'm just thoroughly enjoying this. Yeah. I, are, are we doing good on time? We, yeah, 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 we're fine. This, yeah, yeah. this mm-hmm. is beautiful. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that was that was all the preface to unapologetic. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean to get to your question about when did unapologetic happen? Right. Um, it was it was what happened and what I learned in New York. The team that I went through here, mm-hmm. and. Um, and then when it became time to build unapologetic, I had to build the team, you know, uh, and talent would not be, uh, one of the top requirements, um, because talent was never my top thing. Mm. Um, it would be everything else character of everything you know it would be you know are you trustworthy um are you passionate are you resilient are you persistent are you consistent are you considerate right do your actions match your words you know um so when you were talking about red flags earlier yeah you're typically going that direction yeah definitely all right yeah yeah, you know when i see um you know Sometimes you see insecurity. Insecurity can be a poison or it can be the fuel, you know. And sometimes you you know you have to weed out which way it's going to go mm. <laughs> in someone when you see it when you're building a team, you know. Um, and you know those can be red flags, but. You know, the first person I decided, you know, I, I, the, the, the idea I love to use is, uh, you know, when it comes to a party, the DJ is not the most important person. The most important person is the first person to dance. Mm. Right? The first person to actually do a two-step, that's the most important person in the room. Absolutely. Um, so in the, in the room of Unapologetic, I was definitely the DJ. Kid Maestro was definitely the first person to dance. Mm. Young guy, extremely dedicated, extremely focused, extremely passionate, you know, clearly versed in how to go about doing something when you really want it. You know, I had I've never I had never met anybody like him before him. Uh, especially at such a young age. He was 20 at the time when I met him. And, um, you know, one night at a beat showcase thing I did across from, across from Inglewood, some venue, um, he came up to me and he said, hey, man, I want to learn from you. How? I said, hey, man, take my number, hit me up tomorrow. He hit me up tomorrow morning. Uh, he said, yeah, when can I come through? I was like, I don't know. You can come through now if you want to. You know, he's not here today, but every other day since then, he's been here. <laughs> um, so what are you working on now with him? With him? I mean, he's, <laughs> what is he not working on? He's part of everything I do. Is, 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 I this, gotcha. is, okay. is, is this a good point to, to brag on Memphis? I, I, I know we, we always 
Any, hey, we can we can uh, edit this so, later. So so <laughs> we can play so you, you you're 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 on you're on point in New York. You're doing it. Uh, you have to make a, some some life adjustments. You, some people could say coming to Memphis would be well. You're you're, you're, you're a few notches down because sure. New York is the land of of New York, right? right? Uh, but you, can you not testify that uh, uh, there there is folks here that that can get it done in Memphis? Oh yeah. I built a company off of that idea. Yeah. So I will 100% testify to it because that's the whole idea behind Unapologetic, mm. which is that um, MacGyver. <laughs> Just the idea that you may not recognize the resources around you, but they're there. Right? Are you willing to do what's necessary to discover them? And could you not say this This. This could be, this, this ethos could not be replicated in in other cities I mean just man let me tell you something man <laughs> my mom was born in one continent raised in another and then moved to uh, to North America where she was in Canada at first then she came down to uh, the United States um, thanks to my mom I have traveled all over this world I have never seen another place like this place mm. and people would, oftentimes when I tell people about Memphis they'll be like yeah the south and I'd be like nope Let's stop right there. <laughs> Memphis. There is no other place in the South like Memphis. Memphis is completely different from the quote-unquote South. Mm. Memphis is Memphis. Are you from Tennessee? No, I'm from Memphis. Mm. Like, let's be clear. <laughs> right. Like, you, this you, is a different place here. Could, could you call this the Austin of, of, of Tennessee? You know, because like, you know, Texans would say Austin yeah, is, is its, its, its own yeah, animal. Sure. Right. Definitely. Is, is, is that too much a stretch? I don't New know. Orleans is its own animal. Yeah, too. well, yeah, uh, yeah, New Orleans. The rest of Louisiana is like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I've heard. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Uh, um, well, I mean, we do you want to start talking about gear? Do you want to start talking about I mean, here we are. We've, we've assembled the team. And we can talk about Better Left Unsaid. Oh, yeah, man. So Better Left Unsaid was definitely uh, a product of this journey as well. Um Better Left Unsaid is the first thing, the first project, cohesive, anything I've ever made in my life where I didn't ask anybody for advice when I made it. Now, when you say that immediately, it's a, it, that almost sounds like maybe an arrogant or cocky thing. But that's actually a very scary thing. You know, uh, I have always had people around me when I made music. Mm. Like, I'm not the guy who needs to be alone when I make music. I'm just usually people walking in and out the room, all kind of stuff's happening, and I'm making music, and I'm usually looking at somebody's, where they nod their head, or or if they're not nodding their head, I'm looking, you know, at all these things that are helping me make this music, you know. Um, and so, to make music where I could lean on no one's uh, approval, was scary right the only it I had to believe this was the driving thought behind Better Left Unsaid does this feel like me hmm that's all I cared about I didn't care if it was well rounded I didn't care if it was, I didn't care <laughs> I didn't care about none of that stuff all I cared about was that when I hit play that I feel like I was hearing an audible a, a sonic version of me. You, you weren't well, you weren't worried about 
what people thought. You weren't worried about. Uh, I wasn't that care about none of that stuff. There, there weren't the anxieties of like, I hope this <laughs> sells. I hope this. You were just like, nah, like I, I enjoy this. This is. Yeah. This I. This is good. Well, like you said, I, so- I like this. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, sonically, like you just said. I mean, I read in an interview where, I mean, you you were using sounds in your room. Yeah. Like fingers tapping on the desk, or that's all I cared about. I, I was in. I was just. It was a new thing for me to like. It was a new thing for me to. Uh, To trust myself that much, mm. you, know? you you went full on artist. I, I I didn't I didn't I went full on artist, <laughs> and I, you know what's funny was just that, that, that that's the best way to put it. Mm. That's the best way to put it. I think before Better Left Unsaid, I was a producer. Okay, I really do. And then after Better Left Unsaid, I became an artist, uh, or during it, I became an artist because. Um, conversation of hierarchy continues <laughs> you know I, I I was I didn't care if things didn't make sense mm-hmm. as long as it felt like me like I mean the song James the first version of James on Better Left Unsaid I recorded on my iPhone it was just, I was just messing around you know, I mean I, I was I was actually trying to write a song uh I was actually trying to write a song for my son. Um, and I didn't have a son at the time. I was years before I had a son. I didn't know what my son would be named. So I just, maybe he'd be Junior or something. So let's call it James. It's not actually me. It's, it's about my son. Um, nah, he's Nova James now. So yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, so I, I when I when I wrote that, I first recorded it on the iPhone I just hit record, put the phone up here, and I played it. And I was driving around, and I was just listening to it in the car. And I was like, man, I really like this. Mm. Like, I was like, man, it's just, it's not like, like a technical masterpiece or anything. But wherever my mind was, it caught that. Mm. It caught that moment. Do you remember what, what you were listening to at the time I, I I know I remember that track and right the first time I heard it I remember thinking impressionistic colors you know yeah. uh, that, that's mm-hmm. I don't know what if you I mean I remember at the time I was just I mean I'm always on some jazz stuff like that's that's mm-hmm. where my mind stays so I remember um I remember specifically studying like a specific kind of chord right um it's kind of like these chords where I need like the complete width of my hands to play. Um, <laughs> um, but I just remember maybe like a week before I played that, I spent like 12 hours straight. Of course, this is definitely pre-father. <laughs> I spent like 12 hours straight, um, literally from like 9 a.m. to like after 9 p.m., like... I had learned a chord that I loved and like you don't you don't understand like it, for, like I, I'm this is almost a tearful moment for me but I had learned a chord that I loved and it 
it, it, it was a feeling that I used to get as a kid that at the time I would just call it magical. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. And I remember I used to, when I was first working with instrumentalists, I used to be like, man, play something that sounds magical. Mm-hmm. That's all I cared about. It, was, it sounded magical. If it sounds magical, I'm, I'm going to fall in love with it, you know? And I remember thinking like, man, like what is, how do you play that? Like what is the, what is that? And I just remember one day I was in here I was going through like jazz chord progression tutorials on YouTube or something. And I was like, this guy played a chord and it sounded close to it. I was like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) And I I hit pause like, oh. And I had to take it over here and I was like, what What is is this? Exactly. (laughs) I just had to feel it out a little bit and I added some stuff here and there and I was like, oh. (laughs) And I just, I, I learned how to play that chord, you know, in every key yeah and so i went up and down the piano playing that chord for 12 hours straight and uh i just remember at the end of the day my hands hurt like but i just remember thinking like i figured it out Mm. i got it you know and um and then like a week later i made james so there was i think like two of the chords and there were me kind of doing inversions of that stuff um but yeah i remember i was driving around listening to it man and i just was really in love with how it felt so i was just like man you know when i when i get back to the studio i'm gonna record it for real so set this john up passed it into the to the titan you know went into pro tools played it I was like, hmm, this doesn't feel the same, man. Mm. This doesn't feel as good. This feels like I wrote a piano song. This doesn't feel like a moment anymore. You know? And then I was like, all right, let me adjust some settings on here. Throw in the, the fake amp button. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's got, it's got, it's got a tube. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and... uh Still all that stuff. And it still didn't sound right, man. And then I just turned my phone on and hit record again and played it again. And then it, was, it sounded magical again. And I was just like, all right, man. I'm not going to put a phone recording on this project. I got to find <laughs> some kind of medium. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I, I, you know, something. And so what I did was I just mic'd the room and... um and recorded it in the phone at the same time. <laughs> and then, I, again, I, this makes absolutely no sense at all. As an engineer, I'm just like, what are you doing? You know what I'm saying? Um, but, you know, I put it all in Pro Tools and just put it together, did a couple of EQ, a couple of compressions here and there. And it got, I mean, like you can hear the chair in the room. You can hear me breathing. You can hear... You know, all that stuff that made it uh, this very imperfect thing, but it felt like it captured a moment in time. Wow, yeah. I have a cousin. His name is Sanat. His name is Kit. And, uh, what up, Kit? And um, he is the most, like, I feel like everybody needs this person in your life. Something where, like, you're super excited about it, and you bring it to them, and they're like, 
<laughs> you know, and they just kind of just don't care. You know what I'm saying? And uh, he is historically that person for everybody. You know, you just play him something, he's like, hmm. <laughs> just goes on. Just tears the rug right from under and, <laughs> and you just be like, ah. <laughs> and um, when I was done with Better Left Unsaid, I sent it to him. And he called me up the next day and he was like, man, that's my favorite thing you've ever made. Oh, yeah. And I was like, what? Hey, hold on. I hit record. <laughs> I was like, yo, say that again. <laughs> because no one ever has ever heard him say anything like that before, you know. And, um, and so that let me know, like, whatever, whatever lacked in any sort of well-roundedness or, you know, extremely thought out thing was balanced by sincerity you know and vulnerability I think and I I made that before unapologetic but that was without a doubt the thing that ushered in unapologetic because what I cared about most was that it was me and it was that mindset it was my confidence in that mindset that set the stage for the culture of unapologetic mm. That's pretty deep, actually. I mean, yeah, that, that, that's a whole different mindset than uh, uh, making uh, music bed library. Yeah. Although that stuff has to be good. Yeah. It has to be quality. But that's a, you're talking about a different... You're talking about the stuff like when I used to read old Mix Magazine interviews of mm. the glory days of studio of, of like... Uh, well, shoot, Jonathan. Remember you sent me that, that uh, um, uh, Gear Sluts thread on the Marvin Gaye session. Oh, yeah. Right. He, he, we, we, we were getting nerdy talking about... Like, Shout out to Gears Left. Talk, talk, talking about, um, you know, what, what was what was the configuration of the string section in, in tracking some of this Motown stuff. And, and uh, the dude who was on the session piped yeah. in was like, well, I was there and here's what we did. Yeah, and here's the mics we used. And, and, it was so, and, he, and he was talking about, you know, we, we, we double-tracked. You know, he was getting very technical and it was awesome. You know, just, you're just taking that and, and he said, and on playback, Marvin Gaye cried. Like, like when you heard the playback of, yeah. of uh, what, what's going on when you first heard it come together, said, yeah. you know, it like like you, you just read it. You're like, oh, that's oh, that's lovely. That is just, yeah. you know, and, and so and so to have like, you know, with, with all the pressures of trying to like sell stuff and pay bills, and you got these things like at, at the top of it, we're going for this. You know, it it's it, it, it's elusive. It's it's kind of out there, but it's also this tangible feeling of like, oh, that that's authentic. I don't know what what word would you use? A magical. Yeah, I think. You know, you know <laughs> um, I mean, this is for you guys listening. You can't see this. But, yes, <laughs> but this is the mission statement uh, for unapologetic, and uh, in short, I just truly believe that. You know, I've met a lot of technically great artists, technically great instrumentalists, mm -hmm. you know, and so forth. Uh, but I can't explain what what it is, you know. James Brown had it, you know what I'm saying? What it is when um, you just... 
I don't know what it is. It's just, you just feel it. There's no real explanation for it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it comes, it comes at the hands of a certain edginess in terms of like, it comes at the hands of a certain level of artistic honesty, you know, that ushers in this you know what it is is you allow people to see themselves in it you know what I'm saying like because because you're opening up in a way that is hard to do mm-hmm. you know I've I've heard a lot when it comes to rappers singers whatever I've heard a lot of artists who are technically not good at what they do right but because they're saying and doing things that people wish that they could say and do openly, they become champions for those people. Right now, now if you were to multiply that ability um, by actual skill and talent, mm. right, mm-hmm. then you create that kind of, those kind of artists that are cultural shifts. They can be sincere and truly artistic and at the same time, like, sell records and, <laughs> you yeah. know. And, and at the same time, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, right. yeah. honesty and, and being an artist doesn't equal being perfect. No, not at all. And if, if, you're, if you're buying. Not at all. I feel like, okay, I'll say this. I don't, I can't speak for every genre or, or people who come up listening to every genre, but I feel like. In the like, especially kids who grew up on rap, that's that that's not known enough. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I feel like because I, specifically for my generation, where we saw rap go from the streets, edgy, rough, and whatever blah, blah to multi-million-dollar corporation once mm-hmm. it got super polished up and packaged up to be, yeah, you know, sold. Right, it's this idea that like, you know, you have to be this thing to be able to be an artist. Right, you're not a real artist if you're not. The idea of artist, it's funny. Artist is not perfect, risky, vulnerable. Right. You know, honesty is warts and all. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's walking in the dark. It's yeah. you know, it's funny. It's I, I love that. I love that. Uh, you know that people understand this but i do think that there are there are certain cultures that un, that that are less aware of that than others you know i, I really and i think it's just because of the, yeah. what the music industry has done um i don't want to get too deep because this is a whole other area of thought <laughs> but i do think um i do think that some of that is intentional um i do think that there are certain kinds of music made by certain kinds of people that allow a wider range of expression be successful mm-hmm. if i'm being if i want to be transparent about it i i honestly feel like if a guy who looked like me said the things eminem said when he said it that would have never happened mm. never 
and he and 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 then that person, the guy who looked like me, saying the things Eminem said, would have never been on a rock and roll station. Eminem was mm-hmm. would have never been on pop radio. Eminem was, you know, and so you have certain kinds of people who have examples of being able to say whatever they think and feel and be successful. And then you have certain people who are saying, or certain industries that are saying, look like this, sound like this, and do this to be successful. And this is this small. Hmm. Right. Now, the industry is a little bit different since then because now you can go directly to your fans. You can be who, whatever you want to be successful. And you have people who went platinum and have never been on the radio before. Um, so we're in a different part of the industry. But, you know, I remember when all that happened and I was like, yeah, this is interesting. <laughs> could, could you say that, um, in, and I, I, used to, I used the word anxiety, being not being uh, held hostage by anxieties regarding your creativity. Yeah. We could say maybe being fearless. Like when I th- when I think of Mono Neon, I, 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 I definitely think of like here, here's just he's just fearless, and how, you know, I mean, j- just from his his aesthetic of, of his of what he wears, yeah. what what he's doing, and obviously you know, it just beyond him being a ferocious musician, yeah, technically you know as it just in, in every, but he, there's also this thing of like, you know, it's, it's not reckless abandon either. Like he, he's 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 focused. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, like I mean, that you know, as yeah, and, and not wanting to spill off into other topics, as 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 complicated as America is, mm. it it's you know that you can be an artist and be fearless is is awesome. I think when you have, I think artists like Mono Neon are extremely important mm. right now. Um, period, but definitely coming out of Memphis. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what he's doing shout out my own Neon he actually just pulled my man off him to perform with him uh, in New York in a couple of weeks so shout out to Unapologetic you know what I'm saying uh, doing that <laughs> um, but um, yeah man you know that kind of anxiety attached to um, the creative or just the economy of being a successful artist is tragic. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's, again, especially in Memphis, um, where the idea of being an artist or being creative um, is enough to not only survive, but maybe even thrive. Like what you're creating is valuable enough. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's Here, it's like a joke. You know, I, I remember when I was, when I was first telling people I was a producer. All right, what's up, man? What are you doing during the day? Produce? Like, <laughs> it was like, what is here? When I was first telling people here, you know? And, um, you know, it's here, there's this, and it's it's real, you know? There's this undervaluing of artistry in a way that, Okay, so I think you. Have, I think this splits into two things. You have the guys who, you have the artists who take on a million jobs, mm-hmm. right, or um, instrumentalists or whatever. They take on a million jobs to stay doing their art as their job, right? 
Um, but then, very often, I found in those cases, there is a dissatisfaction in the ability to truly be yourself because you're mm-hmm. becoming a tool for these other things, right? You're playing in somebody else's band or you're playing for this mm-hmm. thing or blah, 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 and you're just a guy who can technically do something, not being an artist, right? Um, that's one way that this that this happens. The other way is just that somebody's like, man, you know, um, I'm going to be an artist, right? And I'm going to make it happen, right? And one of the other problems that, that I find very often in Memphis is that at least from the top down, uh, this place seems to love to go back into the past, right? Uh, nostalgia often plays in its decisions on what's valuable and what isn't, you yeah. know? Yeah. And so when an artist decides, hey, I want to be an artist in Memphis, well, I hope you sound like Aretha Franklin or right. I hope, you know what I'm saying? You know, and so that's why I say mono neon is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Mono neon don't sound like, you don't look or sound like nothing you've ever seen in your life. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he is clearly winning. <laughs> He's clearly doing what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Yo, when I saw him on the stage, I could have cried. When I saw him on the Billboard stage and this man had on the mono neon outfit, like everybody else had on like a, wear this. <laughs> and he had on what he wanted to wear. I was like, man, <sighs> orange man, I'll stand up. Cause mm. I was like, man, I can't wait for the dude to come back home. So I'm going to give him the biggest hug, you know what I'm saying? But and and, and I'm I yeah. I've I've followed you on Facebook. You've mm-hmm. mentioned this to where you know ho- ho- the hopeful byproduct of your work is that Memphis is not just known for Elvis and barbecue and yeah. Beale Street being like I've been in town now 6 years and, and when I meet tourists coming in and which, which is actually, you know, li- li- a, a a testimony to the power uh, the good side of nostalgia, like where I've met, I've met a guy from Wales who, when he got divorced, wanted to come and start his healing in Memphis because he wanted to go to Sun Studios. Yeah. You know, he didn't go to St. Louis. He he didn't go to New York. He he wanted to come to Memphis, and, yeah. which I which I, I thought was profound. But yeah. but to uh, you know, I tell people you know there are some brilliant artists, like brilliant bands, and then there's kind of like the the tragic um you know what would you call a, a stereotype or, or or some kind of uh maybe what you think beale street would be definitely you know and, and so like I, I would say i i would tell people if memphis could rise to its to its renown yeah be, be uh, See that, amazing the beautiful thing about that is you know you got your guys who are coming in and they're like man i gotta come to memphis to you know, go to Sun Studio to start healing. The the beautiful thing about Memphis is just that Memphis is, uh, you know, the cheap place to live. Mm-hmm. You know, you can survive, you can do your thing here and so forth. But we have historic visibility. Mm-hmm. You know, we have people celebrate the things we created in other continents. And they look at Memphis like, you know, like it's the home of greatness. Mm. You know, um, and, you know, I, I want to make sure that I'm clear on this, which is that I, I too, am nostalgic. Like, I, I love 
looking back, I love listening to old records. I love listening to what happened and why it happened. I draw inspiration from the fact that it happened down the street. Mm. You know, but, you know, my favorite producer ever is, you know, hip-hop producer is uh, Jay Dilla. You know what I'm saying? And the thing that I took from Dilla most was that, you know, Dilla, while Dilla had his own, Dilla would name his influences and then press play. And so you could hear his influences, but Dilla left his influences behind. Like, mm-hmm. it was clear that Dilla didn't seek the approval of his influences. He went further. In fact, you know, if you listen to, if you listen to, to the early stuff he did versus the stuff he did just before he passed, like... The guy never stopped going, you know, pushing forward, trying new stuff out and and so forth. So I, I just love the idea that like to him, being like Pete Rock meant trying things nobody had tried before. Right? And so to me, being like Dilla means to just go with my first mind mm-hmm. and to do things because I just want to do them. Not necessarily to go backwards or to celebrate the past. You know, when we look at the history of Memphis, that's what this place is about, right? This place never, when you look at stacks and you look at the stuff that was being created at the time, we were edgy. We were different. We were, mm. we were not fitting in, you know? When you look at early Memphis rap, same thing. I can't believe that the whole industry sounds like early Memphis rap now. Mm. But the people in Memphis didn't care. They were on their own vibe, you know. And so what I think is, what I think is what my goal is in terms of sound and music and art here is just the idea that, man, sure, there, there is a, sure, there, there might be a quote-unquote Atlanta sound, but no one is surprised when anything comes out of Atlanta. Hmm. I mean, you can hear, you know, whether it can be, you know, Outkast or Future or whoever, you know what I'm saying? Or Janelle Monet or whatever, you know, there's a whole bunch of ranges of things that can come out of Atlanta and you're just like, yeah, of course, it's Atlanta, yeah. You know, and that's, that's, that's the thing that Memphis has. Yeah, you don't have to build it, we just have to expose it, it's already there, mm. you know, that... This place can create. This place created me, hmm. uh, and I wear a mask and do weird stuff. So, you know, <laughs> uh, so this place is already creating diverse, uh, you know, products of art and people. But oftentimes, internally and externally, we're seen as blues, right. Yeah, barbecue constantly letting the past define right and it's 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 we have to open that door and that's something that i hope unapologetic does its part in i, I was thinking how how to like i know my folks like my folks are going to listen to this unless i hope mom dad i hope you do <laughs> and and so you know it, what images come to their mind when they hear the word rap uh or an r&b and whatever and i'm, I'm trying to think like how i, I how you mentioned Dilla and you know even myself 
rap. I'm, I'm more definitely a melodic R and B, uh, jazz head, and, and and rap is still kind of you know I, I'm very peripheral with it. But when I listen to your when I listen to your music and when I listen to Dilla, I would describe it and, and you know correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. uh, this uh, John, Jonathan used the word impressionism. This type of color, this type of of a collage making. It seems more textural than you know, hundred percent rhythmic driven. Not not that. Uh, yeah, this, this this assembly of of like and, and like and how you mentioned earlier of like being it's important to be exposed to just as large uh, a col- a collection of music and sounds as possible to mm-hmm. where you this this sound design and to where you're pulling these things all in and assembling this this beautiful lovely and beats just you know even the term beats i remember i, I think like just a drum machine <laughs> and just an 808 or something but you know the actual this this bed um yeah, it's funny how that term's evolved i mean oh my goodness yeah it's um i i, I even thought today of like is there such a thing as prog rap <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah I want to make that. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be down trying to make that. <laughs> of, of, of something that is well, like you've been this. revisiting your progress. Oh, I, yeah, lately. actually, I listened to this the, yes record just the other day. I thought, holy cow, that that is you know, it, it, nerdy rap. Is there such a thing as nerd rap? Is yeah, rap? it definitely is. Yeah, that's what I used to. Listen to. I was a nerd listening to rap, but not. Nah, but there definitely is nerd rap. It's just for years it was called underground hip hop. Mm. It was backpack rap, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? It was like the descendants of like most deaf and quali. You know, I can play some of it. It was dope. <laughs> mm. um, you know, nerd rap where you hear like science and equations and stuff. That's the kind of stuff that I was like to love. That stuff. Man. Oh my goodness. Um, but but not nah, like it, it definitely. Man, I'm all about textures. I'm all about. Um, I think sound is just audible emotion. Mm-hmm. I think that's all it is. It's it's like it's the sound of your emotions, you know. And so, um, for me, I'm just trying to get directly to your emotions. That's it. Mm. Like I'm not trying to dance or have anything, you know, that's superficial. Like let's just intravenous. Let's let's intravenous. Let's go straight to the vein mm-hmm. of emotion. Um, and so. I feel like this is probably a good segue. Um, I feel like the vocal version of that is Cameron Bethany. Mm. I had never, I had never heard anybody like him. But he does with his voice what I try to do with my music. <laughs> so um, with that, sorry, I, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, ran across a couple terms and previous interviews like uh, New Progressive Memphis Progressive Soul or for, for Cam or just for me I, I mean oh, that's kind of my question yeah. Uh, yeah I was wondering if you could kind of unpack either one of those terms well I I mean I don't I don't directly identify with any of those terms okay. myself yeah. um, I think I mean I'm I'm just unapologetic. That's me. <laughs> I'm I make mad beats. Um, Cam, he he developed a term to, to you know for his own style called mod fusion, hmm. um, which is essentially mod M O D mod yeah, fusion. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is essentially um, just a combination of all the things that he's heavily influenced in, heavily influenced by. Um, 
and uh, he's he he sings. Words are optional for Cameron. Words are optional. I, let, me, let me let me be clear, man. Like. <laughs> I have never, okay, a little quick, very quick story. Cam hit me up one day just before, just after I'd finished Better Left Unsaid and before Unapologetic ever existed. Mm. He hit me up and he says, I had met him once. He had come in uh, to do backgrounds on a uh, the Barnes family's album. And... Um, and the Barnes family were recording a song with me, and he had come in, and I met. He didn't say we didn't say anything to each other. It wasn't like we had a hey, we had a long conversation. Just a very how you doing? And he went in the booth and did his thing, and that was it. I saw him at a party. We didn't say anything to each to each other. Months later, he hit me up and he said he wanted me to produce a record for him, and um, we had a meeting here. He told me his influences and where he wanted to go with it. I was immediately intrigued with the direction of it because the the things that he mentioned were just things I love to listen to, <laughs> you know. And so I'll admit, like, at the time, I was definitely still in my better left unsaid zone, so which was just very much me, like, mm-hmm. and trying to absorb and, not trying to get caught up in anything else. I I felt like up until that point I had been used in so many pe- uh, so many other people's things that I just wanted to spend time in my world. But when he said those things, I, it just made me think like, okay, maybe I don't have to leave my world for this one. Like, mm. sure, you know, all right, let's try it out. And uh, he came in like a week later. He came by, and I hadn't even made the beat yet, and <laughs> and. Uh, I was like, all right, cool. So I um, made the beat like 30 or 45 minutes before he got there. And uh, he came in. I pressed play. He loved it. And um, and so they worked on a – all they did that day was the hook. He brought in a whole – it was like it was like he was a rapper the way he came in with an entourage. Like, but <laughs> – but, Cam's entourage is not a rap entourage. Cam's entourage is a whole bunch of very well-dressed people (laughs) 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 that just come in and just like have the greatest clothes and colors on and you know they talking about incense and stuff man. <laughs> you know what I'm saying and just various stuff like that it's like, you know what I'm saying that's great and for me you know being uh, that's just not you know it was new for me and so at the same time while I'm while I'm like man this dude can really sing and I'm, I'm excited at the same time I'm also taking this all in like <laughs> these guys are interesting you know <laughs> and um anyway so um they lay the hook down and and they leave. And I remember after they left, I remember listening to the hook over and over and over again. And I was just like, man, this guy, man, there's something different about this mm-hmm. guy. Mm-hmm. You know? Hmm. And, I, and my wife, she sings. So the real test was she got home later and I was like, hey, Marie, come listen to this guy. Now, let me be clear. My wife is the most shutting you down wife ever. <laughs> I will com- I will be making something and be like, this sounds hard. And she'll be like, mm, 
I'm not really. I'll be like, baby, no. Yeah, she she just nah. She will keep it real G with me, especially with a singer because she sings. Mm. Um, so you know, if you don't hit that note right, trash. <laughs> and, uh, and and I played the cam song for her. And she was like, "Who's this?" I was like, "This guy named Cam. Like he's he's kind of out here." And uh, and I just remember just feeling like. I think I have something special here. But the thing that I remember thinking the most was just that, like, I wasn't even listening to the words. Like, it was just the way he moved his voice. I don't think I've ever heard anybody use their voice like that. I think, like, in jazz terms, like, you think of a horn, like, the phrasing. Yeah, it was, a, it was right. that's exactly phrasing, what it was. Yeah. It was his ability to move in and out of harmonies in a, in a certain kind of way it, mm. it, it was it's hard to describe but um we finished that song no 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 okay so i just remember because of the way he was singing it inspired me to add another piece to the song so i made up this whole second part of the song um before he even came in one day and i was just like yo man i just made this what do you think i played it for him and he was just like yo it's crazy i was like yeah man you should just do some harmonies on this, man. Like, don't even say any words. Like, just, oh, ah, uh, ooh, whatever. Just, mm -hmm. just fill it out. Like, as in, like, be an instrument, you know. And uh, and he did it. And I and it was it was then that I was like, yo, this guy can speak to you without saying any words. Mm. You know, I've like again, my wife sings. I've been recording singers. You know for at this point for years you know some of the most well-known singers on this planet and i had never heard anybody not say words and mean so much wow and uh and that's what struck me about him like and then and then i saw him perform then i saw him perform and i just remember you know a room full of hot, sweaty people, excited and just moving and blah, blah, blah. And then he started to sing and how everybody just kind of just stopped moving. Oh, yeah. Mm. And I was just like, and, and let, let me be clear, he wasn't saying any words. He was just using his voice live box and creating like harmonies, you know. And he was just doing oohs and ahs and layering them in a way to where people were just kind of like mesmerized. And I was just like, this is the guy. Mm. He's got something that's different. But even then, even once I realized that this dude had a unique talent that I had never seen before, it wasn't good enough. Nope. Had to test his character. So we, <laughs> I set him up on this kind of regimen of like, he had to be here at a certain time and you know, he was trying to figure out a way to do a second song with me, but he couldn't afford it. Mm -hmm. So he was trying to stretch out the payments and mm -hmm. blah, 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 whatever. And so I told him, I said, well, look, let's do this. I'll allow you to pay me this, but you got to come in and help me on this song. Like I'm, I'm working on stuff for licensing still, mm -hmm. blah, blah, whatever. Come in and do this, blah, blah, whatever. And that'll be, we'll work it out that way. All right, cool. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, throughout this process, which is about three or four months, you know, of course, we're testing out everything. Like, you know, basic stuff like 
being punctual, you know, tact, um, being considerate, mm -hmm. uh, being passionate, being resilient, like, you know, and so forth, being forward thinking, right? Um, and we're just testing out his character, man. And at the end of the three months or four months, now he, he's, he's unaware of all of this stuff. Like we're, me and kid are, I'm totally, when he's gone, I'm totally talking to kid like, man, I really hope this dude has the, has like all the other stuff because the talent is there. But if he doesn't have the other stuff, then it doesn't matter. Wow. You know, and Did, he, should you, should you say that again to our listeners? What, <laughs> what, what, what was that? What is <laughs> it's real? You know, I've, I've seen, you know, the way, I, the way I love to put it is I've seen people as good as Jordan. Mm. Um, never get there because they didn't have the other things. They didn't have the necessary things. That's my wife. She just walked in. Um, so, you know, we had him going through this kind of regimen uh, to see if he had it. And at the very end of it, he comes up to me and he says, um, <laughs> we were out there in the living room and he says to me, um, Neem, I want to talk to you, man. Yo, man, like, I want to do this EP, but I really want to do something different, you know? I want to want to push forward and, like, try to create something that's mine in a way that I never have before, you know? And, like, I just really, you know, he really spoke to, like, being vulnerable in his music in a way, in sincerity. He was pushing past a lot of self-doubt not just musically, but with his family, with his personal life, and so you can all, you, it's all in his album. He talks about all of it. And, you know, and he just wanted to get it out of his system um, in a project that him and I created. Mm. And that was totally where this unapologetic was, where I was. It was this new thing of like, nah, let's, let's, let's unapologetically be ourselves in a way that even makes us uncomfortable, scares us at the thought of saying these things out loud. Like, you know. Not following a script? Nah. Mm -hmm. Nah, let's not try. R write our own story. Let's do. You know. And, uh, and I was just like, I remember kid, kid Maestro was sitting to the left of me or to the right of me. And when he said those things, yeah, when he said those things, I just, um, I just kind of looked at him and just laughed like, <laughs> all right. You know, that was, those are those moments when you just kind of look up and you're just like, all right, I, I get it. Mm -hmm. All right. So, <laughs> so, so we need to do, we need to become something greater than this because, this setup's too clear. You know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, this is not a mysterious way that the Lord had moved. This was a very straightforward and transparent way. And I, I must accept it. You know what I'm saying? And um, and so, yeah, that was... Cameron was the, the second person in the club. Mm. I was a DJ. Kid Maestro was the first person to dance. And then Cameron was the talent. And those were the bars. Right, it was me, Kid Maestro, and Cameron. Mm. And that's how everything pretty much started with that. <laughs> yeah.
So, so if if we're uh, um, that's fantastic. If if we're coming to like where we're, we're unapologetic is today, yes. State of the Union today. Mm-hmm. Um, we're again, like we mentioned, we're, we're we're in the studio right now. This obviously and this aesthetically beautifully appointed, uh, <laughs> per, personally appointed uh, studio. That uh, where where how would you describe things today? Today, um, unapologetic. In a month and a half, turns three, and today we are today we're in a great place. Mm. We've done some amazing things, you know. Straight, I mean, I can I can go down the like accomplishments list thing, but I think by far the things that I'm most proud of. It's how we've grown as a family. Um, the things we've learned about each other and ourselves in the process. Um, how the core of us is still here mm-hmm. and we're together all the time. Monday is kind of like, Monday is my like, I'm here alone day. But every other day it's like a zoo in here. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> it's just, you know, people doing cool stuff um and we're now we we just recently released Cameron's project Mm -hmm. and now we're we're getting everybody on tour we're getting everybody on the road um everybody's about to go out and start meeting people in their own cities and um man there's some things that I I want to speak on that I can't speak on but there's just a lot of really cool things. Good, good momentum, you're saying. Very good momentum. Awesome. Yeah. Very good momentum right now. Um, Pretty cool app. By the oh, way. thank you, thank you. Yeah. yeah, the app is actually transforming. Actually, you know, unapologetic. We obviously created by a musician, but um, unapologetic has become unapologetic visual, uh, unapologetic the app, unapologetic world, uncover, which is our media. We have a team of about four journalists now that are capturing uh, parts of Memphis that have never been exposed um, and we're showing it in the app um, you know we're um, we're expanding in various ways uh, we have garments now garments is our clothing line uh, it's doing very well we're actually we actually just re-upped on our second we're actually going to release our second batch uh, at Stuntarius volume 3 the release show at Rail Garden um, so we have the clothing line um you know, and all, I, all of this stuff, I can't go into detail, but all this stuff is about to be elevated in a way that I think is, is going to allow us to do our part mm-hmm. in, that, in that exposing. I don't want to say change. Exposing. The change already happened. Mm. Right? Exposing of what has happened and the versatility and what can, what can go on here in Memphis. So, Unapologetics is in a great place. Um, we have artists like a weirdo from Memphis who is always pushing the boundaries of artistry. You want to talk about being an artist, that dude is an artist, artist, um, which is why I think him and Mono Neon get along so well. <laughs> mm. um, this fall, me and Mono Neon's joint project drops, um, which I'm super looking forward to. Um, Shout out to Hot Cheetos, 
uh, recent release. Um, so we got that. Um, yeah, man, and just really expanding the idea of it because the music is just the product of the idea. The idea is the biggest mm-hmm. point, you know. The idea is the biggest thing that we want to spread and that we want to, we want people to, um, to find themselves in. You know, we're not doing all this stuff just to make a dope record or to be popular musicians. Um, you know, if I had it my way, uh, you know, five to ten years from now, people will have a distant memory about a guy with a mask on. <laughs> And they'll know Cameron Bethany. They'll know a weirdo from Memphis. They'll know whoever we pick up, you know, between then and now. Um, You know, I'm not doing this uh, for any sort of fame. Um, It's just about helping a kid who felt like how I felt when I was growing up here. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's great. This this interview so far reminds me of a uh, that's where my mind went. Uh, Hans Zimmer, you know the the, the famous composer, yeah. film just mm-hmm. just Inception, all of it. You know he he gave a master class. There's uh, online master classes. Yeah. He, he, he and the best review uh, of it. I haven't even seen it yet. Just I just I thought the review was great. The guy says you need to see this, not because he's because of course people like music nerds want to know like well what what's he driving everything with like how how's he doing like technique yeah you want you want to be because that's he said no he says this this is this master class is about his head space and like his heart space that's yeah. what you really and I, th- I feel like this interview has been a tremendous uh window to just like you know here's 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 the realm that's informing the actual technique and the actual music and product it's been, yeah. been fantastic thank you yeah, thank you, thank you guys for coming by. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, I, that was beautifully you, man, said man, by man, both man, of you. Man, you had you had a whole thing of notes there, Jonathan. You got you know, it was we got through them so organically, and I asked you know, <laughs> I had some points, but I mean, like I had I had all these questions about process, and we we got to them so naturally. wonderful. Man, <laughs> huge thanks to your family, and and again to 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 the dog who Boudreaux. Boudreaux with with the the, the nails on yeah, the wood floor. She, she was definitely but, adding some percussion. I think know? we should we should try and incorporate that into a, into a beat. <laughs> yeah, somehow. that was wonderful. Huge thanks again to James Dukes. I make mad beats. Unapologetic. Get that app. Get that app. Get the app. The unapologetic app. Check out all the links uh, that we have and uh, look out for great things coming your way from these guys. Uh, big thanks again to Snake Bite Company, Redwire Audio Visual, and of course our beloved. Ernestine and Hazels. Ernestine and Hazels. Catch you next time.